the LifeSpring Church podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. Today I want to maybe teach more of a Bible study lesson than preach. I think it's good for us to remember from time to time. We did this, a little bit of this in the month of November. We taught through the Bible study of some of the basic doctrines of the Bible that we believe. And so today we're going to take the time, we're going to close with communion today. But we're going to do a Bible study on just what is communion. This do in remembrance is the words that Jesus said. This do in remembrance. Communion is is more than just a religious act that we perform. It's more than just religiosity, if I could use that word today. It's more than just ritual. It's actually filled with rich, very sacred, practical, and symbolic meaning. It is a personal time and a corporate time of remembrance. It's a solemn moment where we internally reflect and we externally express gratitude to God. The whole basis of communion is to remember, but when you take the elements of the bread, which is the representation of his body, and you take the juice, which is a representation of his blood, and you consume those elements, it should be from a heart of thankfulness, a heart of thanksgiving. Gratitude should be within us when we partake in communion. Communion is simply a remembrance and a thankfulness that God come to earth as a man. He became the sacrifice that gave all of humanity freedom from the curse and the bondages of sin. He liberated us and set us free. So we're going to look at these symbolic meanings, these literal applications of um, communion. And then we're also going to take a few minutes right before communion and talk about what the Bible says about eligibility to partake in communion. Don't get nervous. I want to take a very biblical approach to eligibility to take communion. We're going to begin. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are three of the writers, apostles, disciples who followed Jesus, and all three of them wrote about the Last Supper. So let me set the scene a little bit, and you're probably familiar. You've seen the painting of the Last Supper. I don't know that it was on a marble floor with a big fancy table in a, in a dining hall. The Bible says they were in an upper room. They rented an upper room. It's believed, history tells us, that it was the same upper room that they gathered in on the day of Pentecost. They returned to the same room. So they had some acquaintance or some familiarity with whoever owned the room because they frequented it often. So they were in this room together, gathered together, eating what we call the Last Supper because from this side we know that it was the last time Jesus gathered in a formal setting to eat with his disciples. And that sets us up for Matthew chapter 26, verses 26, 27, and 28. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. 
and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Note that because we'll come back to that in a minute. Mark reaccounts and writes the same scenario again in Mark chapter 14. We'll start at verse 16. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. So it wasn't just a dinner they were getting together for. It was a specific dinner. They were celebrating Passover together. Skip to verse 22. It says, As they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it, and he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Luke also recorded this in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. It says, And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. So we're doing this today. We're teaching this lesson, and we're going to partake in communion in remembrance of him. Remembrance of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, Likewise also the cup after supper saying, This cup is a New Testament of my blood, which is shed for you. So here is Jesus in an upper room with his disciples. He grabs the bread and breaks it. He takes the cup, begins to pass it. He speaks these, these words that have become memorialized in our minds and in our hearts, these sacred words of comparison between his flesh and bread and the wine and his blood. But this was not the first time this idea had been shared with the disciples. Twelve were partakers of the Last Supper. But this was not the first time Jesus had shared this idea. Matter of fact, Jesus had shared the concept and the idea of his body being bread and his blood being wine previously, not to the twelve, but to the multitudes. Jesus began to preach to the multitudes about commitment and about selling out and about being bought in completely into what his purpose was for coming to us. He was telling them that if you want to be saved, you have to put your all into him. <clears throat> Jesus taught. He was preparing people for his death. He was preparing them so they could identify him as Messiah. Then it was through veiled language. He was revealing to them the fullness of time was about to be upon them and he was about to pass. I want to read this to us here quickly in John chapter 6, starting at verse 51. He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. He's making some pretty emphatic statements. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now the Jews were sitting around. 
therefore, and strove amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They must have been very literal in their interpretation of what he was teaching to them that day. They missed the symbolism. They missed the veiled language that was there. They took it very literal. Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the Father hath sent, as the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Jesus is telling them, and he's drawing the comparison, because he began in verse 51 simply by saying, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. He's already setting the stage and preparing to draw the analogy back to the Israelites walking through the wilderness. And you understand the story of the Israelites walking through the wilderness. They have been delivered. They've been set free from the bondage. They've crossed through the Red Sea. And they, they've begun to murmur and complain. Moses, we're hungry. We want something to eat. So Moses goes to God and, and God answers the prayers of the people of God and the requests of the people of God. And he begins to rain down manna from heaven. Heavenly food is prepared for them. Every morning they're to go out and gather enough for the day and bring it into their tent. And then on Sabbath, before Sabbath, they go in and grab enough for two days and bring it into their tent. God was teaching them to rely on Him and to rely on His provision. The instruction was, if you gathered more than enough as prescribed for your day, it would get rotten and it would grow worms the next morning. So if you don't want that mess in your house, just get enough for today and trust God that he'll supply again, fresh and anew the next day. Amen? So we can trust God. He will provide for us our daily bread. But not just is he providing daily bread for them, but he draws an analogy that the miraculous was there in the wilderness to supply the need of provision for your forefathers but every single one of your forefathers who ate of the manna have passed they've all died because it was a fleshly provision it provided strength and substance to their carnal man to their human man but jesus was saying just as bread came from heaven to feed them in the wilderness naturally so a bread in typology and symbolism has come from heaven that will feed you spiritually. And if you eat of this bread, you will never die. The Bible teaches us that it is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the resurrection. Then there's other verses in scripture that teach about people having a second death. Let me talk to you about what this refers to. 
It refers to everybody has to die once. Some people die twice. Some people will literally die a physical death. There are others who won't die a physical death because they died a spiritual death at an altar of repentance. And before the time comes for them to die physically, they'll be resurrected out of here or raptured out of here. There are those who will die a physical death, but then they'll die a second death, an eternal death, a spiritual death. And the admonition is that we should die once because it's appointed unto man to die once. And if we'll die spiritually at an altar of repentance and we will eat the bread of Christ, then we have life eternal spiritually. We will not be cast into a grave, an eternal grave, an eternal place of separation. We will not bear the judgment of Satan in our flesh. But we will be eternally with God forever in glory land. Amen. There is a doctrine amongst some in our world today. It's the doctrine of transubstantination. You might be okay, Mr. Google. Tell me what that is. The doctrine of transubstantiation is the doctrine that says when you eat the bread and when you drink the juice, once it gets within you, once it's ingested into you, it is literally transformed into flesh and blood. This is not true doctrine. Because Jesus was not telling the multitudes that you're literally going to have to carve me up like a Thanksgiving turkey and literally drink my blood. That is not, he was not speaking to them in literal terms. He was speaking to them in the symbolic terms of his death and how his death would be the substance for us to live. Jesus and his disciples were gathered on Passover weekend and as they're sitting there preparing and eating Passover dinner we call it the last supper he is now already in his mind understanding and knows that this message he preached on a hillside is fixing to come to reality in this upper room and what a solemn moment it must have been when Jesus it's my assumption, stood, and maybe he stayed seated. We don't know, but he reaches across the table and grabs the, the bread. And he's just holding it. Long enough for everybody to turn and realize, all right, something's happening here. Let's pay attention. And then he begins to speak and he says, this, holding the bread, this is my body. Then he takes the cup and he holds it and he begins to speak of it. And he says, this is my blood. And he begins to pour in the identity. And it's in the context of where they're sitting. It's in the context of the feast that they are celebrating. It's in the context of the commandment God gave them when they left Egypt. Always have Passover and never forget about the deliverance that come to you to set you free. 
he became, he became our Passover lamb. Jesus, through symbolic language, is now identifying himself. Through his 33 years of ministry, he's been cryptic. He's been veiled in his, his speech because he knew there was a process and a time and a place where things had to happen. He's not been so forthright in telling of who he is. But through this act of Passover celebration and through the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup, he is through action saying, I am Messiah. He is saying, I have become the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. Oh, we may have celebrated and we may have ate according to the rituals and the festive um, norms for this feast. But there's something changing today, disciples. There's something changing today for your understanding. You are eating a Passover lamb in remembrance of something in the past of an Old Testament, of an Old Covenant. But I'm telling you, with the breaking of this bread and the passing of this cup, the time has come that the Old Covenant goes away. The Old Testament is not going, excuse me, is not going away, but the Old Testament is being fulfilled and a New Testament is being put into place. Paul teaches that the only way that you can have a New Testament come into place is when the testator passes. The only way a will becomes effective is when the one who writes the will passes. <clears throat> Just as on the actual Passover, they were instructed to eat the lamb. Just as on Passover, they were instructed to handle the blood. So Jesus is with his disciples handling the bread and the wine. Jesus is saying, I have become the same deliverance to you as you observed in Passover. I want to tell you today, when we take communion, we take it in remembrance. Not in a Jewish tradition of an old Passover, but we take it in remembrance of the installation of a new testament, a new covenant, a new understanding that he is the lamb of God, slain from the foundations of the world, come to deliver us and to set us free. And he tells us, unless we are willing to partake in his flesh and in his blood, we will remain dead in our sins. This is not saying to us that communion is an act of salvation. The act of salvation is not taking and eating the bread and drinking the blood. This is a remembrance of our salvation. The act of salvation is the breaking of him, the shedding of his blood, the death. And our death is repentance. It's the gospel message. He was broken with whips. His flesh was cut open. He was hung on a cross. His blood ran from his body as we partake in that through repentance, through prayer, through humility, through complete surrender to the King of Kings, not just in a moment of prayer, but in the decision in that moment that I will live an entire lifestyle pleasing and satisfying to God. And maybe this is why those on the hillside, the multitudes walked away. 
Maybe some seen it literally and just couldn't wrap their mind around the symbolism that he was talking about. But I'm sure there were those who understood what he was saying and the commitment was just too great. I can't give up this part of my life. I can't release this part of my life. I can't surrender this part of my life. I, have, I, have, I, I, I just can't, I can't commit to that level, God. And so we're going to walk off this hillside today. Partaking in the, the bread and the juice today is fresh commitment to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When they crucified Jesus, his blood was shed and his flesh was broken for us. Let's talk about each of these here for just a moment. We'll not read it, but if you're taking notes, you want to go back and read it later, you can. Exodus 12, 21 through 23 gives the instructions of what the Israelites were to do with the blood of the Passover lamb. They were to take the blood and they were to place it in a bowl and they were to take hyssop, a specific plant, and they were to dip that hyssop into the blood and they were to apply the blood to each of the doorposts and across the lintel of the top of the door. It was this application of the blood that would build for them a spiritual barrier. It would be a symbol to the death angel pass over this house. This house has made the appropriate sacrifice. This house has made the appropriate commitment. This house has been obedient to the instruction of God's word. You can pass over this house and go on to the next house. And so it is in our lives, as we read in Matthew's account, that Jesus said his blood would be shed for the remission of sins. When we go down in this grave of water baptism, we take on the name of Jesus Christ. It is the purity of water cleansing us and making us whole again. But it is also the application of the blood of Jesus Christ which sets about us a barrier. It puts around us protection so that when the day of judgment comes, the death angel, so to say, would look upon us and say, this one's been obedient to the gospel. This one's been obedient to the call of Christ. This one has made the sacrifice. This one has been obedient to the cause and to the word of Jesus Christ. And so it is with us that we must have blood the ultimate sacrifice applied to our lives. Not the ritualism of religion. Not just the public confession of an inward commitment. But we must take on the name of Jesus Christ so that we have his blood applied to our life and we are brought into his family by his sacrifice for us. So here, the close of service today, when we drink the cup, today do it in remembrance of the blood of Jesus Christ, which alone is the covering over your life, which alone is the thing that keeps you and protects you and shields you. And covers you. If you talk to those who are old time. 
You ask them about prayer and ask them how they got through some of the struggles and some of the difficulties they would go through. And, and you would often hear them say, oh, we just, we just called out on the name of Jesus. Let me tell you, if you're ever in distress, you can call out on the name of Jesus. But there are other times they begin to pray and they would say, we just pled the blood or we plead the blood of Jesus over that situation. What, what is that terminology? What does that mean? It means they're taking the sacrifice that Jesus made and the power of his blood and they're being like Job. Job would go and he would make sacrifices every single day for his children just in case. And it was those sacrifices and that faithful service to God that set a protection around Job and all that he had. And so when you plead the blood of Jesus over somebody, you're saying, I'm praying, I'm, I'm praying a, a hedge of protection around them. I'm praying God's favor into their life. <coughs> If you have someone in your family that's sick, pray the blood of Jesus over them, that his blood can heal them. You have somebody in your family that's addicted, pray the blood of Jesus over them, that they'll have the ability to come to their senses and, and, and see their need to leave where they are and return to the Father's house. There is power in the blood of Jesus. We sing the old hymn, There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Not just to save you, but there's blood, power in the blood to keep you. There's power in the blood to preserve you. There's power in the blood to encourage you and to uplift you. If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't even be here today. I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus. Exodus chapter 12, verses 8 and 10. We're not going to read them, but it's the instructions to the Israelites on the eating of the flesh at the original Passover. <clears throat> when God wants to do something special or God's working, you will find that God always gives detailed instructions. Notice that as you're reading through your Bible and you come across stories in the Bible, notice that God gives detailed instructions. And he places his blessing on the other side of obedience. Why does God do that? Well, the best answer I have for you is because he's God and he can do whatever he wants to do. Well, why doesn't he just hand it out freely? I don't know. He's God. You'll have to ask him when we get to heaven. But everything in Scripture, <clears throat> the principle of Scripture is God sets in order a commandment, and then he sets in order obedience to that commandment, and then on the other side of obedience is the blessing of the commandment. And it was the same with the flesh of the lamb. The lamb was to be roasted. There was great detail. It was to be roasted. It was to be eaten as much as possible. And none of it was to remain. Any remaining parts of it were to be burned. The significance of this is that it would be their last meal together before the long journey through the wilderness. This lamb was going to be the nourishment 
and the strength for their journey. I wonder if the apostles or the disciples really understood what was happening at the Last Supper. They probably ate lamb in in memorial of Passover. And they realized this was, this was ritual, this was, this was in the law, this was obedience to the to Old Testament law, the Old Covenant. But did they realize when Jesus stood up and he began to break that bread, and he began to say, this is my body which is given for you, this is my body which is going to protect you, did they realize that they were eating into a covenant that was giving them strength and provision for a long spiritual journey? You may say this next statement is exclusive, but really it's not. It's just a reality and it's inclusive because everybody has the right to participate. But the only way we make it from here to there is through Jesus. He said he is the only way. He is the door. He is the gate. He is the one who comes to save us. He is the lamb who was slain for the remission of our sins. He is the lamb who was slain and shed his blood. His flesh was the flesh that was broken for us. So we can only survive and we can only have provision and nourishment for this spiritual journey from here to yonder by taking on and eating of his strength and his flesh and his provision for us. When we partake of the flesh of Jesus, we receive this strength for a journey. Once the order was made to crucify Jesus, he's brought in. He goes to the garden, right? He's betrayed. They take him, arrest him, take Jesus in. The political powers play politics. Well, I don't want to be the one that comes judgment on him. Pass him over to that guy. And that guy's like, I don't have no jurisdiction in this area. Take him back to that guy. And finally, one of them says, all right, I got a plan. During your feast to the Jews, your feast of Passover, it's customary that we, the Romans, would release to you one prisoner. Here's the vilest guy we could find in the inner prison. And here's Jesus thinking to himself, well, duh, the answer is give us Jesus. And they scream, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. And politics failed. Barabbas is released. And now he's standing here next to Jesus. And he asks the fateful question. What am I going to do with this guy? What shall I do with Jesus? And the crowd begins to cheer. And the mob begins to build. And their anger and their vile hatred. The Bible tells us some were even paid by the religious leaders to begin screaming, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him. And it is in this moment in time that humanity has now made the decision that God's destiny as human has been set in motion and his purpose has come to pass. And such a time 
as this has come to pass. And the fullness of time is there. And all of the moments of an Old Testament transitioning to a New Testament have come into alignment. And it wasn't very long after the cheers and the chants and the screaming that Jesus was released to the tortures of Roman military. And with many devices were used upon him to break his flesh. The Bible tells us that his face was slapped. He was punched with the fists of angry men. Hands were used to grab a hold of his beard and to rip it from his face. A cat of nine tails, a whip built with shards of glass and pieces of metal was used to, to lash across his back and to rip open his flesh. Thorns were placed on his head and shoved down all the way down to his brow, penetrating his skin and tearing open his head. And out of all of these wounds flowed his blood because his flesh was broken. And this wasn't the end of it. For after he carried the heavy cross in his weakened state, fell. A man was called along to help get the cross to Golgotha. And at Golgotha, Jesus was laid upon that cross. And wounds Gaping wounds were placed in his hands and his feet as nails were driven into the wood to hold him in place. Here his flesh is broken, and out of this broken flesh flowed his blood. You see, it was the breaking of this flesh of Jesus Christ which brings to us free access to grace and to mercy. For without the breaking of his flesh, there could have been no shedding of blood. And Hebrews tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So because of the cross and because of Calvary, I can boldly go before the throne of grace and I can make the greatest petition of my life known. Lord, I need you to save me. Lord, I need you to redeem me. Lord, I need remission of my sin. And because of what he did, I don't have to be who I was, but I can be who he called me to be. I can be who he called me to be. For it was in the middle of the afternoon when the sun is high in the sky. Jesus, who had fulfilled all of the prophetic in his body, utters those last words with the last gulp of breath. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he says, it is finished. The Bible says in that moment, the middle of the day became as the darkest time of night. And in the tabernacle, if you remember our study through the tabernacle, the veil that separated the holies and the holies of holies was supernaturally rent from the top to the bottom. And the area that was reserved for the presence of God and only to be entered once a year at the time of the offering was exposed now to everybody. 
I believe it was evangelist Lee Stone King who made the analogy that in that moment at the renting of that veil, grace and mercy rushed as though it were a mighty water from the holies of holies into the holy place. It rushed through the pillars into the courtyard. It rushed out of the courtyard and out of the temple into the streets. It flowed to the left and to the right. It flowed down every avenue and every alley. Grace and mercy was freely available to all who would partake. So when we take up the cup and we take up the bread today, it is in remembrance of the beautiful access we have to grace and mercy. It is gratitude for the unmeasurable love that God showed to us. Yes, in eating the bread and in drinking the cup, we remember the pain That Jesus suffered. But it's so much more than just a remembrance of the pain. It's a remembrance of the grace and mercy and his word to us. Jesus is our lamb. His blood is is represented by the fruit of the vine. And is in similitude of his blood placed upon our hearts and lives. In remembrance of the the blood placed upon the doorpost. His body is the flesh represented by the bread. In similitude of the lamb being eaten at Passover. The death angel. It is him. Giving his all to us. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it. But God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't give him just to live for 33 and a half years and do the miraculous. The miracles were simply a sign of who he was. The miracles were simply there to reveal that Messiah had showed up. The miracles were there just to say... Let's take your focus from the old covenant and become aware and watch as a new covenant is put into place. The miracles were just road signs. It's even what the miraculous is today. It's road signs for us to see who the real king of kings and the real lord of lords is. So when we take today, let it be in remembrance. This do in remembrance. I want to take just a couple minutes and go through 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It is not with intent today that I talk about eligibility for partaking in communion. I have no intent today to kill sacred cows. That's not the reason for this. The reason for this is I think there's a great beauty in taking communion. And it has great purpose in our lives. And I think we should have true understanding of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and the context in which it's shared with us. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. I'm going to read to us a little bit of a lengthy passage, and then we're going to talk through this. This is Paul writing to those in Corinth. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup which he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not concerning, or excuse me, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Many have grabbed a hold of verse 27 and says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let's break that down. Here's the biblical eligibility for taking communion. First, you must believe that Jesus Christ is God. You must believe that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain to become our Savior. And you must believe that the new birth experience is for us today. (coughs) That's the biblical requirements for taking communion. So what does it mean to take it unworthily? We have to understand the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you go back up several verses, Paul is not speaking in such a, a nice tone to the church in Corinth. He's actually scolding them and, and giving them some rebuke a little bit because they have gathered together for communion and turned it into a feast. And they weren't just taking the bread and the wine and, and using it as, as elements for a remembrance, but they were eating to the point of gluttony and calling it communion. And they were drinking to the point of drunkenness. And calling it communion. And he was saying, no, you're feasting. You've set yourself in an environment where there is no remembrance. This is about you. This isn't about him. And so you are unworthily attributing that morsel of bread which you ate and that little piece of wine that you drank in the midst of your feast to some moment of remembrance. You had lost the sacredness of what they were doing. We understand the sacred nature in which we are to participate in. The church in Corinth had literally lost the sacredness of what they were doing. It became so that you could no longer discern between them having a feast and having a remembrance of the Lord's Supper. This is why we do not have a whole table spread today. This is why we have a simple cup with just a small bit of juice and a small wafer simply as a remembrance of what the Lord has done to us. Some may ask, well, when should a person 
began to take communion. And probably the question is often asked in the context of children or a child or kids. I would say that kids are welcome to take communion here at LifeSpring Church with the oversight of their parents. I would just have one request. That when leading your child in communion, that you know that they understand what they're partaking. We want to hold it sacred. We want to hold it as a moment of true remembrance to what the Lord has done for us. We want gratitude to be in our hearts. And while they may not understand the full picture of all that we discussed today, but if they have enough understanding that they can reverence what's happening, and you're okay with it, then let them partake. Here's the miracle of communion. And Trenton, you can come if you would like. Communion, as we stated earlier, communion is not an act of salvation. Communion is in remembrance of the one who brought us salvation. But during communion, there are are three miracles that I think can happen. First miracle is the miracle of forgiveness. It's a beautiful miracle. Well, I've been forgiven. I went to an altar and repented of my sins. Yes. And you live as a mortal in flesh. And if you're anything like me, we have moments of weakness. We have moments of temptation. And we even have moments where we succumb to temptation. And we, we just need the grace of God fresh and new again. We need forgiveness fresh and new again. So when you take the bread and you take the juice today... Let it be with a gratitude in your heart that grace is available to you. Mercy is fresh to you. One of the, 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 the psalmist used to write, or has written in his psalms, his mercy is everlasting. So when you take today, if you need fresh forgiveness in your heart, you don't have to wait for some other moment. You don't have to wait for some different day. You don't have to wait for some big demonstration. You don't have to wait for an altar call. Just take the cup today and take the bread today and realize that forgiveness is yours. And just surrender to Him. And let His forgiveness come and be fresh in your heart today. The second miracle of communion is commitment. It's the opportunity for us to take a view inside of our heart, inside of our intentions, and inside of our purpose, and to the Lord, make fresh commitment. Well, I committed to the Lord to serve Him all the days of my life. Yes, you did. But what would be wrong with making fresh commitment and new commitment to Him today? Nothing would be wrong with it. It would be right. And the third miracle of communion is healing. If your spirit's broken, your emotions are wounded, or you have a physical need in your body, I believe in communion you can be healed. The miraculous can happen today. The miraculous will happen. Grace will be administered. Commitment will be made to God. And healing will occur in our body, soul, and spirit today.
Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.